take it and open to the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair that's in front of you or nearby. If not, we'll have some of these texts up on the screen for you. you'd permit me once again to lead us in prayer. Father, we come once again before you with a request that is common to our lives because the need is so steady. We need to hear from you, God. Even on a special day, we need to hear from you. More than anything, we need to hear from you. So Father, in our brief time together, my prayer is that My words would fall to the ground, blow away, and be forgotten. We need to hear from you, so let your word remain. Let it be planted in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives, I pray. And it's in Christ's name, amen. Well, several months ago, I came into, uh, I came into the church office for, for work, and I was greeted with a wonderful surprise. As I went to put my lunch away, I noticed that we had a new addition to our office staff. You may not have heard about this, but I will let you know this morning. In our little kitchenette, our $30 coffee pot had been replaced by a shiny, sparkly, magical, brand new Keurig coffee maker. Okay? Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about... You're just not a coffee drinker, I, and I, it's, there's, there's still time, you know, but, but for those of you who do know what I'm talking about, you're, you're with me on this, but let's just, let's, just, let's just speak to those who don't know about coffee for a moment. Okay, so a Keurig is the world's greatest invention. It contains the world's most significant technology. You see, back in the Stone Ages, like eight years ago, when we made coffee, we would have to grind and measure out uh, the appropriate amount of coffee and you know, a significant portion of water, and then we'd have to sit there, and you know what we had to do? We had to wait for like three whole minutes. We had to wait for the coffee to drip down through, through the grounds and, and, and give us what we needed. And clearly, three minutes is too long to wait for a cup of coffee. A lot can happen in three minutes, right? Uh, most significantly, I can just fall back asleep. Or, uh, or I could walk into a door and give myself a black eye. And this just isn't acceptable. This isn't acceptable. But fortunately, our pastor, Pastor Mark, is a compassionate coffee drinker, and a compassionate man and a coffee drinker. And so he sees the world the way that I do. And so he decided to solve this problem with an appropriate solution. So he purchased the K475 Platinum Keurig Brewer, complete with strength control, and temperature control, and a 2.4-inch color touchscreen. <laughs> so when I noticed this, I, I dropped my lunch, and I walked straight into his office, and I hugged him. <laughs> it's absolutely a true story, right? And within about 15 seconds, I had my third cup of coffee that day, of jet black coffee. And you see, once my uh, excitement subsided, subsided, I did what most reasonable people do. 
right? I went online to read reviews about the Keurig K475 Platinum Brewer with the 2.4-inch color touchscreen. And to my dismay, you know, I wanted to see how does this compare to my four-year-old Keurig Brewer, which doesn't have a color touchscreen, right? I have to press a button, okay? And so I wanted to see how it compared, and so to, to, my, to my dismay, uh, I read a number of reviews that I later determined were fake, I think, uh, that told me that there were instances where the K-475 would burst into flames. Now, I like my coffee black, but that, that is, that's too dark for me, right? So, so, and this concerned me for a couple reasons. Number one, if your coffee maker is on fire, you cannot drink coffee from it, okay? Number two, uh, fire would be bad for the church, and it would be, you know, it could be dangerous. And, and number three, you know, my, one of my most prized possessions, my library, is just a few, like, inches away from this, uh, from this coffee maker, right? And so, and so I, you know, I'd be concerned about, about all these things. So I decided that I needed to do something. The Boy Scout that I am and, and once was. I did what any prepared person would do. And anytime that I have a problem that uh, my mind and a strong cup of coffee cannot solve, I go see Tony Maiden. And that's what I did. I walked straight into his, uh, his office and I said, Tony, and I explained this to him, and I said, where's the fire extinguisher? And, uh, and, and I told him about this, and he kind of chuckled at me, because there's not a significant danger of this coffee maker bursting into flames. And, but we decided it would be wise to, you know, to notice. And as it turns out, the fire extinguisher was like right beside my office. It was just a few steps away from, uh, from, uh, from my office. I'd walked by it every day for two years and did not notice it until I paid attention. Have you ever noticed how you can be so familiar with the landscape of a story that you miss some of the most obvious details, right? That, that's how the Christmas story, that's how it can be. You know, for most of us, or many of us, we have read about and we have uh, heard the Christmas story sung about. And, and for, for many of us, we, we can miss it. You see, in our culture, we, it doesn't help that we tend to romanticize almost everything about, about Christmas, right? We, we think of it in a different way, and we can let the culture's idea bleed into what we actually read about in the scriptures. For example, I was reading a, a Christmas book to my girls last week, and it described, it said that Mary placed baby Jesus into the manger, cozy and warm. And I thought, cozy and warm, okay? Like, you know, like this picture. This, it's cozy, cozy and warm. And, but, but the Bible says he was placed in a feeding trough, right? In a non-heated barn, right? Now, in my house, if the temperature, if the thermostat drops below 70, I'm, uh, I'm told that someone may catch hyperthermia in our house. And, and I imagine that there was, there, you know, there was no, no thermostat. So, so damp straw is not considered to be you know, cozy and warm. But we're so familiar with, with the westernized version of this story that, that we may not think about it. Well, what about the wise men? Right? You've, you've heard about the wise men. Talk about a weird part of the story that we kind of just gloss over. Right? It's, we, we read that there are three Middle Eastern men, okay, 
Three Middle Eastern men who apparently were kings of Orient are, whatever that means, and they traverse over field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star, right? That's, that's, what, we, that's what we sing about. They, they follow the light of a star, which is also a little bit weird, right? Okay, a little, little bit strange. And they bring this staggering wealth to Jesus. So what's the deal with, with these three wise guys? In the Gospel of Luke, the author doesn't even, he doesn't even mention them. But to Matthew, in Matthew's account, they were pretty important. If you'll look down in Matthew chapter 2 or look up here on the screen, we read what Matthew uh, tells us about, about these kings or about these, these men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, so you'll notice in this verse that, that Matthew includes the word behold. Can you, can you find it, boys and girls who know how to read? Can you find the word behold there in your Bible? It's, he, says, he says, behold, maybe because Matthew knows, uh, maybe this is because it was before Keurig's and the Bible readers weren't paying attention. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe he's saying, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to this text. You want to be sure that you're listening. Don't, don't miss this. Well, what's so interesting to us about these three wise men that are coming to visit Jesus? You might say, like my daughter, well, they come every year, right? Like, they, they come every year. We're, we're used to that. But Matthew wants us to pay attention and to be perhaps even surprised that they came. But why? What is surprising about these three wise men coming? Well, as much as I like the song, We Three Kings, the song is not... Uh, not very accurate, right? These three guys were not, were not kings. The Bible says that they were, they were wise men, or the word uh, in the original language is, is a word for magi, right? It's a, it's a word that, uh, you, that you may not be that familiar with, but think about it. This means that they were, they were astrologers. They were pagan astrologers. The word magi is where we get the word magic, Right? It's, these, it's a negative word. These three guys were not kings. They were, they were more like sorcerers or, or wizards. Right? They, were, they were practitioners of the dark arts. And Matthew is saying, hey, pay attention. Look at, look at this. These pagan astrologers are coming to worship Jesus. These aren't three respectful kings in cool costumes riding camels, right? These are pagan experts of what I think we could even say was, was satanic magic, right? They are coming to worship Jesus. One of my favorite authors put it like this. He said that it's like Gandalf and Dumbledore are coming to worship Jesus. If you don't know what that means, don't, don't worry. It's not who we would expect. Now, to, to get to the point here, we must understand that the Bible totally condemns these men. They are totally condemned for their divin, div, uh, divination, right? They're, they're not per, permitted to do this. The Bible, in multiple places, makes it very clear that their lifestyle, their practicing, was not permitted, in a text I'm sure you're very familiar with, Deuteronomy chapter 18, we, we read about words of warning that Jesus gave to the people of Israel before they went into the promised land. Look, follow along with these, with these words with me and look how strong this warning is. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, 
Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Okay, so think about that for a moment. According to Moses... These are the kind of people that God pushes out. The kind of people that God drives out. They are uh, equated to the kind of people who practice human sacrifice with their children. I think we could very easily say that that these are the kind of people that fall into the New Testament category of, of sinners. Yet here they are at the birth of Christ. Isn't that interesting? You see, I think the lesson for us here is that even at Christ's birth, even before he can speak, Jesus is beginning a pattern that he would continue throughout his life. Jesus draws sinners to himself. Jesus draws sinners to himself. Not just the Jew, not just the religious, Not just the local white politician, but the Middle Eastern, the satanic, the astrologers, the zealots, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. From the very beginning, and we sing about this now, Christ was drawing worshipers to himself. Do you see it? Now, to be honest, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of all the details that we have in our account of the first Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 2, we read that there's this dynamic that's going on where we see these three wise men talking to Herod, and, and, Herod said, or, and the wise men say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, I'm not really sure what to, to make of this star. Uh, you know, our children's illustrators always dis- depict it as, as, you know, one big star that is shaped a certain way. And, and, you know, it's a little bit bigger than, you know, sometimes than the moon or, you know, as long as your camera angle is right or something, you know, it's positioned over the manger. I don't know how this worked. I don't know how they, how they sorted this out. And, you know, I'm not really sure how it happened. And so I'm not going to speculate about this too much. But my point is simply this. However these wise men practiced their astrology, whatever it was that made them set out on this long journey to see this new king, it was clearly God that was guiding them, right? It was clearly God that was guiding them, even in the midst of their satanic practices, even in the midst of this darkness And even in the midst of all this, and and I think we can say there was a lot of even satanic activity. I mean, think about it. What else would cause King Herod, just a few verses later, to murder all of the male children in this region? I mean, if if that is not satanic, I don't don't know what, what is. But even in the midst of this, God is working. He's drawing sinners to himself. And guess what? He's still doing it today. If, you're wor- if you've been worshiping with us during this Christmas season, and I-, I hope that you have or that you're in another church that preaches the Bible and values the Bible, you've been hearing about what we've been calling the Christmas gospel. 
which is the same gospel that we as a church preach and celebrate all year round. And the gospel is this. The gospel is simply this, that, that because of God's perfect holiness, God is utterly repulsed by our sin. You can't read the Bible and get around that fact. And, and our sin includes all of the actions and all of the attitudes that, that are in us and a part of our lives that are opposed to God, that are opposed to the way that he wants to rule our lives. You see, God can't just sit by idly and watch us destroy his world. He can't just sit by and watch us dishonor his name. He's a judge. He's a just judge. And no judge can be just and watch this sort of tyranny. No judge can permit serious crimes to go unpunished. And the Bible teaches that the punishment for sin, God's punishment for sin, is death. Death exists because of sin. Death is the reason that all of us will not be here in 120 years. Death is because of sin. And since we have all sinned, we will all die. But our sin is even more serious than death here on earth. You see, since our sin is not just against a government or against another person, our sin is against an infinitely holy God. And so our sin is infinitely damnable. That's why hell exists, so that sinners can pay for their sin. But my message for you on this Christmas morning is the message of Christmas. And it's the message, it's the same message that the angel announced to the shepherds that, that Christmas night, that Christ was born not to be a judge, but to be the savior of the world. So all of this bad news that I've just explained, it's just, it's the black darkness that sets up the bright light that Christ brings. Jesus Christ came. He was born to take away our sin and to take away God's anger that is aimed at us. So Jesus lived a perfect life and he was willingly to willing to suffer the judgment of death and hell so that you and I might be saved. The good news of the Christian gospel is that if, if you repent of your sins and if you place your faith in Christ, Jesus will be willing to be your substitute. Your substitute. That means that his death will count for the death that you should die because of sin. And the fact that even at his birth, even at his birth, Christ was drawing satanic sorcerers from a distant land to come and to worship him. You know what that means for us? It means there's room for us too. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what kind of problems and what kind of things you have done and what you bring into this room. I don't know what Christmas is like for you this year. But the Christian gospel is that there is no sin that is too great for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. This is why we celebrate at Christmas. And this is why we take communion as a part of the practice of the church. 
And we're going to move into a time of communion here in a moment. And as we do that, let me invite you to pray with me. Uh, pray with me one more time. Let's ask that God would bless this and ask that God would work in your heart this morning. Father, as we come before you today, we come with busy hearts. And Lord, I ask that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what is in our hearts on this Christmas day, I pray that by your spirit, you would work. I pray that for those who are here today, and perhaps they do not know you, that their life is filled with other things. Maybe not practicing magic, maybe not sacrificing humans, but Father, we recognize that all of our sin is heinous before you. So would you give us a sight of that? Give us a vision of that. Help us to see that we are sinners in need of a Savior. I pray, Father, that as we take the Lord's Supper together, and as we consider this special symbol that you have given to us, this practice, that, Father, you would give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ. I ask this in your name. Amen.